the entire passage of verse 8 through 37 is the basis of my message tonight. But I'm just going to read one verse. We'll look at verse 26, and then we'll refer to these other verses. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? Or with thee, child? And she answered, It is well. An unnamed woman of Shunem, referred to only as the Shunammite in this chapter. In verse 12, she's referred to, and in other verses, as the Shunammite woman. Sought out the prophet Elijah because her son was dead. She ran to him for help in this passage of Scripture that we have before us. But all of this had a background and a setting that precipitated the miracle that took place. Most miracles are the result of something very special. Many times God in His sovereign power just performs a miracle to show forth His glory and His love and His power to man. Other times the miracles are a result of carefully prepared hearts that have exercised faith over a lifespan, and in this moment of crisis, God's miracle power never fails. God meets the need. In this case, we find that in verses 8 through 11, a woman showed hospitality for a holy man. That's what she called him. He's a holy man, she said. And she constrained this man of God, the prophet Elisha, to come to her house in verse 8, and eat bread. Her husband and she decided that it would be a good thing to continue this hospitality. And so in verse 10, they prepared a little chamber. They furnished it with a bed, with a table, a stool, and a candlestick. Now that seems to us today uh, as though that that would be very meager. But in those days and in that part of the world, that was not an uncommon or necessarily even uh, a scene of poverty because this was what was necessary for the prophet to be entertained. So she extended hospitality to a man who was a prophet of God. There was nothing to coerce her. There were no promises made that if she would do this, she'd be rewarded for it. There was nothing to indicate that he asked her for any favor. Uh, but out of the goodness of her heart and the respect and reverence for God and a desire to do something for one of God's servants, she and her husband offered this hospitality. In verses 13 through 17, we discover the rewards of righteousness. In verse 13, the prophet Elisha did not forget the kindness of this woman. And he said, what is to be done for thee? When he called her before her, he said, what would you like to have? What must be done for thee? Well, we notice that she refused his request for any indication from her 
Anything that she would indicate that she wanted in return for her hospitality. Now that's the kind of hospitality that is genuine. It was done without any expectancy to be repaid. You know, it's one thing to hire out. And it's another thing to do something out of the goodness of your heart. And oftentimes good deeds, so-called good deeds, are an effort to earn brownie points or to receive some kind of merit award or standing or recognition. But in her heart, she only wanted to do a good deed. She wanted no reward. She refused his offer to state anything that she desired. Now, I'm sure there was more in the context here than is actually recorded, but she refused to indicate anything that she desired. The servant of Elisha, Gehazi, said, well, she has no child, master, and her husband is old. This is in verse 14. Apparently, there was no hope for them having children. And he knew that this woman desired to have a child. In verse 16, the prophet Elisha prophesied that she would be given a son, a child. She did conceive, and she did bear a son. Now, I want to pause at this juncture and indicate to you tonight something that I feel that God wants us to share from this story in the Old Testament. It's wrong for us to expect return for any act of kindness or mercy or goodness or hospitality, befriending people and helping people out of charity and out of love and even out of Christian service. It is wrong for us to do it with this in mind that we're going to get the interest that we're going to get the return. Now, mind you, there are returns. There are rewards. The Bible teaches the principle of sowing and reaping. You can't ever change that. That's divine. And if you plant, you will reap. You'll have a harvest. God will see to that. But the motive for giving, the motive for being filled with genuine hospitality and kindness and benevolence is not for what you're going to get, not that you're going to get something out of it, but rather that you're meeting a need, that you're befriending someone that needs that. We know that God will give a reward. Well, let's just turn over to Matthew chapter 10 and verses 40 through 42. We see this very clearly. Very similar to what's taking place here. He that receiveth you receiveth me. He that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. This is Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, and now verse 41. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Did not Jesus say that? He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. That is something that Christ has instituted in the church as, as well as in the natural realm it works. In the body of Christ it works because Jesus said it will work. You will not lose your reward. 
and yet we are not to do these deeds of kindness and mercy and goodness and service and ministry for what we're going to get out of it. We know that there's coming another day, and on the other side, the Lord will grant rewards. The Bible does tell us to lay up treasures in heaven. So I believe it's fine to work for a heavenly reward, but whatever we do for Jesus down here, it is not because that we're expecting to better ourselves, to advance our cause, and to strengthen our position, but rather to please Him, to minister to Him, to be like Him, and to be a servant, and to help those who may have needs. People in volunteer service, are often governed by things that are somewhat selfish. And I preached about this a couple of Wednesday nights ago, and, and of course I felt like that was a sermon that should have been preached on Sunday morning. But oftentimes uh, people will volunteer for some kind of ministry for children, if they have young children, or if their grandchildren are involved. But what blesses and thrills me is the number of people that we have working in our nurseries who have no children or whose children are grown or people who, who have children but theirs are in another department. For instance, and I'm going to name them, Earlene Baggett and Pat Devereaux, their children are too old to be in the nursery but they're committed to this as a ministry to this church. They get no pay, no kind of reward for it, and many times they're in there three times a week, which it ought not to be that way. It ought not to be that way. We should have enough ladies in this large church to get on that volunteer list that Earlene and Pat would never have to miss more than one service a week for that ministry. And I feel like that they do this because they love those babies. Not only that, they love these moms and dads. They love these couples. They want to have a ministry to the family and to the church and to the Lord. What are they going to get back out of that? The satisfaction of knowing that someone was able to sit in a church service without holding a wiggly, squirmy child. And I didn't say wormy, I said squirmy. <laughs> I saw some people wince a little bit there. <laughs> the satisfaction of knowing they ministered to someone in an atmosphere of love. Oftentimes it's easy for us to give where we're going to receive benefit back. It's easy for some people to be involved in a department of the church. If in that department they can make business contacts. If it will help them sell their product or their service or earn some points with a concern that one day they'd like to be employed in. You know, it's easy for us to gravitate to those things where we can receive some kind of benefit on earth, some kind of material benefit. It's easy for us to make friends with people who can serve us in some way. And it's a self-serving thing on our part we have something to gain. We have benefit to gain by making friends. And so we migrate to those that have something to offer us. But many people serve without any benefit whatsoever coming back to them in the natural realm. It's a spiritual thing. Not only the nursery workers, 
But I mentioned this morning those who are volunteering to help in the daycare ministry. Maxine Hall has been over there numbers of days preparing the noon meal. She receives no pay for that whatsoever. She's done this as a ministry of love. Gary mentioned that this is a daycare where little sick babies can be prayed for. And of course, if they're sick, we don't keep them uh, mingling in with those that are well. We try to uh, take care of that and see that everybody's not exposed to some illness. But it, the love that motivates Maxine to come there every day and prepare that noon meal, it's an amazing thing. Annabelle Johnston, who comes several days a week and volunteers her time to work in the daycare office. Those are illustrations. They, their children are far beyond that age. They don't even have any grandchildren. Why, well, Maxine's are down the road. She may have someday, but that's a way off. <laughs> this is a ministry of love. Our bookstore ministry. When you come in and, and want to buy books, Kay Lowe is not paid for that ministry. She doesn't get anything in return. Never any profit comes her way. Just, and I tell you, nobody has ever been loved by a person who has a product to sell any more than they will as they come in there and she offers them the Bibles and the books. And, and if they have a prayer request, she'll pray with them right there or she'll write down their name and she'll pray with them later. And that's a ministry of love. And these people who greet you at the front door with a smile and a handshake and open the door for you, they're not paid to do that. It's a volunteer ministry, but it's such a blessing in this church to have such warmth and such love and such genuine friendship. And, and they do this because this is an investment in people. Nothing that they expect to gain from that in money, or earthly reward, but the satisfaction of knowing they're being somewhere they're needed. Our ushers, our musicians, our choir, our singers, those who work in the sound booth. Brother, you talk about a thankless task. Every time there's a screech, everybody looks up there. <laughs> if the microphone is not dead, here's Gary and Steve down here beating. <laughs> and looking up there. <laughs> and their whole eyes go up there. <laughs> but that's a ministry. And the satisfaction of knowing that needs are being met. Those who, who serve in the cassette tape ministry. Those who supervise the Royal Rangers. Doug Milligan doesn't have any boys. All he has is girls. <laughs> Now, I know that the Lord's going to reward him. I don't know that they're going to have any boys. But when their girls get ready to marry, <laughs> they're going to need some boys around. And thank God for the investment in boys that Doug is making. Thank God for those who have a ministry to the girls in the missionette program, for the WMs, for the men's ministries, the couples fellowship, the singles ministry, for the Sunday school teachers. And I will stop because I will leave a department out and assure I didn't mention the children's church. <laughs> and I tell you, every Sunday morning, this morning there were over 70 children in our junior church. There were above 30 in Dave and Carol Chester's uh, preschool church. 
I'm not sure how many was in the, the toddler's children's church and in the nurseries, but I tell you, there was a passel of them. <laughs> and oh, thank God for all of these different volunteer ministries. Thank God for all the musicians, for these ladies who serve at the keyboard. We are so edified and so blessed with music in this church. And these people are ministering out of love. And it's a, something under Christ, but it's also to the body of Christ and to the people who are edified by that. But sometimes in the ministry of love, your faith will be tried as by fire. This woman who had done this deed of kindness was rewarded. God gave her a child. And then all of a sudden, the child died. You can read the account in verse 20. The child died. Possibly it was by a sunstroke. He went out into the field with his dad. And the child fell sick. He said, carry him to his mother. And so on his mother's knees, he died. She took the child and laid him on the prophet's bed and shut the door and said, saddle me an ass. And she rode immediately to the prophet. She told her husband, I'm going to find the man of God. Verse 27 tells us her soul was vexed. Mind you, this is a person who has been filled with hospitality, with benevolence, with charity, with kindness, with goodness. You are not insulated. You are not immune to trials and hardships just because you're busy for God. You may have your faith tried as this woman did. This child meant a lot to she and her husband. They didn't think they could ever have children, and now they were blessed. And then all of a sudden, he was gone. Imagine how she felt. And her soul was vexed in her. The prophet said that. Well, as she came to find the prophet to Mount Carmel, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, ran to meet her. And he asked her three questions. Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? She said, it is well. And yet the prophet knew she was vexed in her soul. She said, it is well. Brother, I believe this is where the confession teaching meets a need. This is where it's right to confess on a positive vein the promises of God, your faith in God in spite of circumstances, in spite of what you see in the natural. She said, it is well. Was it well? She was vexed in her soul. Her child was dead. Her husband was distraught. Here she is riding on this donkey as hard as she can to find the prophet and beg him to come do something about it. And she says with confidence and faith, it is well. I'm glad we don't see a picture of a woman wringing her hands in desperation and feeling that this is the end of the world. She trusts in the God she knows gave her this child and she says it is well. There is a time for us to express faith. There is a time for us to stand on nothing but the sheer word of God. When all else looks as if it's going in reverse, we know that God's word said it is this way and we stand on that and refuse to be harassed by the devil to the contrary. It is well. I tried to find the story of the song written by Philip Bliss, It Is Well With My Soul. It's in our songbook. 
Philip Bliss, and I couldn't find the story, but I've heard it related several times. He and his family were going, I believe it was to Europe as missionaries. They were laymen and God called them as missionaries. As they bought their tickets to sail to another land, something happened and Philip had to stay behind. His wife and daughter got on board the ship and out in the Atlantic Ocean in a storm, their ship went down. And when he received this message, I'm not sure of the story, but it seemed to me like it was even after he had departed from New York that he received a telegram that his wife and daughter had gone down. And he's faced with a sudden loss of his entire family. And now he's pursuing the call of God, going to where God called him as missionaries. He talks with the ship's captain. And when they got to the exact place in the ocean, where according to the records, the ship had gone down and his wife and daughter had lost their life. God ministered to him and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well. Well, was it well? His family was gone. Yes, it was well because God had not changed. God was still on the throne. God would be with him and see him through these difficult hours. We need to have this un undaunting courage and faith in God to say, it is well with my soul. Elisha said to the servant, you take my staff and you go and lay it on the face of that child. And the servant fled with the staff. But this was not good enough for the woman now, verse 32 tells us the child was dead. And she said, Sir, as the Lord lives, I'm not going to leave you. And so he decided, well, I guess I better go down and see what I can do. So he followed the path of his servant. Now, verse 33 tells us why God wrought a miracle. You may look at all this story and you say, boy, this is unusual. I never heard of a healing service like this where you, where you stretch yourself on the patient and you put your mouth on their mouth and your eyes on their eyes and your hands on their hands and, and stretch your body out. If we had healing services like that today, people would think we're crazy. And if, and if we mixed spit and clay together and put it on somebody's tongue, certainly they'd think we're crazy. But, or put our fingers in people's ears and prayed for them. They'd think that's a little odd. But the prophet of God prayed unto the Lord. Now verse 33 tells us the secret of the miracle. He prayed unto the Lord. All the other things, I don't know why he did those other things, but the reason God performed the miracle is because he prayed unto the Lord. God raised that child from the dead. And in verse 33, we're told, Elisha prayed unto the Lord. Then he lay upon the child, he put his mouth upon his mouth, he put his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands, he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. And then the prophet got up and walked to and fro through the house, and then he came back and stretched himself upon the child again. And the Bible says the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And then Elisha presented the child to the mother. And you talk about a camp meeting. I imagine they had a camp meeting. Praise God. God raised that child from the dead. And the, the testimony of this woman was vindicated. Earlier she had said it. 
it is well. Now then, she had the proof that it was well. But first, she had confessed with her mouth the promise that was in her heart and in her soul. It is well. A lot of people say, no, it's not well. I need somebody to mourn with me. I need somebody to sit up with me tonight. I need some sympathy. I need some compassion. But she said, it is well. God has everything under control. Praise God. My good friend, Talmadge Butler, with whom I went to Bible school, and his wife, Margie, went to the Bahamas as missionaries and then went to Africa as missionaries. They came home on furlough and, and were going down to the Bahamas for a visit before they returned to Africa. Talmadge and Margie were jewels. They had one child. They were with us in the fall for a missionary convention. And this happened in the, the following summer, in July of the next year, after they were with us in the fall for the missionary convention. And on the way down, in that mysterious Bermuda Triangle, their plane disappeared without any explanation whatsoever. It was a jungle pilot. He flew government dignitaries all over Africa. He created an airplane in the States, sent it to Africa, reassembled it, put it together, and flew it all over Africa. He was a genius and an humble man, a good man, and a great preacher of the gospel, and a good singer. But on the way to the Bahamas, he and his wife, and little son suddenly disappeared. They had uh, hired a plane and, and the pilot went with them from Fort Lauderdale. And the pilot was an excellent pilot. The only thing that was ever discovered of that plane was a little piece of the wingtip tank with a number on it to identify that this was part of their plane. Other than that, nothing else was ever discovered. But Talmadge had a theme song. And it was similar to the song that we were singing earlier tonight. And his song, the song that we were singing here tonight was, I know in whom I have believed. And his theme song was, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that, which I have committed unto him against that day. And I can still hear his sweet voice with those beautiful notes ringing across the congregation. He sang it when he was with us that fall. And that was the last time that I saw him alive. But all oh, with Talmadge, he was persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor anything could ever move him, could ever change God's purpose. It was well with his soul. Is it well with your soul? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your wife? Is it well with your child? It is not well if you have not committed it all to God. If God is not in control, if you're not trusting God, if your faith is not in Him tonight, it is not well. Is it well? I want us to turn to that song and sing that chorus tonight. It is well. It is well with my soul. Brother Eddington will lead us in that, and we're going to sing it in a moment. Now someone, many people here tonight, need to know that it's well. Something is going to happen or something has already happened that you just simply need to know everything's all right. It is well. God has it under control. It is well. 
For you who are going through the, the trial by fire tonight, you're going through a flood or you're going through a fire, you're going through some kind of difficulty, it is well. It is well. Trust Him. It is well.